0: Good morning, I'll go ahead and get started. Um, so first of all, for the people who I have not seen in a very long time, um, it's good to see your faces. Uh, I haven't been to Malaysia in about two years, so it's, it's very excited to see everyone I haven't seen. So to, to those of you who don't know me, I'm gonna share my screen and just introduce myself and my family to briefly. Um, hey Eric, if you can, can you just give me permission to share my screen, uh, you have me disabled. So for those of you who don't know me, Yes, as Eric mentioned, I lived in Malaysia for about seven years, between the years of 2011 and 2018, and during that time, that's where I met Greg, um, Anthony, and we just really, um, that's the reason we're here today, we started the church, and of course, uh, we've enjoyed every minute since then. I do have one request, um, can you, who's ever on the line, can you just mute your line, just so we don't hear the background noise, um, and, until you're ready to speak, thanks, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, so again, uh, I love my seven years in Malaysia. It's funny, my wife and I and my family, we actually just went to a Malaysia restaurant for lunch. They were in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we just finished eating nasi uh, lemak uh, with beef and dung. Um, uh, what else do we have? I forget, uh, a cur- um, roasted duck, etc. cetera, uh, bok choy. So a great time. So I'm gonna share my screen. Of course, my wife, Jenny, my three kids, Madden, and Miles, and Emery, and we actually have a dog called Bindu. So for those of you who know me, you probably know where the name Bindu comes from. Um, so two things I will share about the church before I get started. Eric doesn't know I'm sharing this. Um, the church was one of the most joyful things I've ever done in my life, uh, being a part of it, leading it, et cetera. It was also one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. Um, one thing I'll say is Maybe I never asked, and maybe sometimes I did, but the amount of work that it takes into running and organize, organizing a church is extremely difficult, often to the point where I never asked for help, or sometimes I did ask for help. But one thing I will say, even though I never asked for help, I needed tons of help. You need people to open the church, close the church, clean the church, um, get supplies, help with communion. So if you're a member of IBCBI and you're trying to figure out how you can have an impact on the church, just help. Um, there, there's many th- that need to be done, even if Eric has never asked you. I'm pretty sure he needs it. So I'm just going to ask if, if you have a way that you can serve, I'm going to ask that you do that. Another thing I'll share with the church, and again, this did not come from Eric, this came from myself, is I never took a salary from that church in seven years. Um, and as a result of that, the reason I didn't is because I knew the funds that we were pouring into that church, we would need those funds one day, for example, nine years later, to pay for a pastor. Um, 100% of the proceeds that we made just stayed in the church or went back into the community. So if you're a person that believes in tithing, thank you. Please continue that. If you're a person that doesn't believe in tithing, trust me, the church needs it. Because without the tithes of that church community that we built seven years ago, we would have we would have never been able to do the things that we've been able to do uh, for the community or for the church. So I just wanted to start with that again. Michael Robinson, I'm going to get started for today. Um, and we're going to jump straight into it. So today we're going to actually talk about the cost of following Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. So I'm going, to show the, I'm going to show the text on the screen, um, and then I'm going to go into a, a little bit of teaching, but we're going to, I'm going to teach today on Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. I'm going to read the text first, because it is extremely long, and then after that, I'm going to explain exactly what it is that I just read, and then I'm going to figure out how can we apply that to our daily lives. So I'm going to read the text first, then we'll pray, and we'll get into the Word. Let's do this, right? Or let me move this, sorry about that, guys. So verse 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy, and the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say, To the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you would deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let me pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to IBCBI today. I pray that my words come out exactly the way that you want them to be heard. And I just pray that the congregation receives exactly what it is that you want them to receive. In your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, so let's go into the teaching. I'll start with verse 53. I'm going to read from the Bible. You can follow along. You can look at the screen however you prefer is fine. So let's briefly talk about the situation. Let's talk about the situation that Jesus and Peter is in right now. So Jesus just was kidnapped from the garden of Gethsemane uh, around three o'clock in the morning. He's actually, taking to, he's actually going to trial with one purpose in mind. So the situation is they led Jesus away to the high priest, right? And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Peter followed him at a distance. So what this is saying, they brought Jesus to the court of the high priest. Peter is with Jesus, not side by side, but following behind. They brought Jesus to this trial or to this council for one reason, one reason only. In verse 55, it says why they brought Jesus to this council. Now, the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus for one reason, to put him to death. So I want to make this very clear. They weren't trying to put Jesus in jail. They weren't trying to give Jesus a fine. They came to Jesus for one reason, and that one reason was to put Jesus to death. They kidnapped Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane arrested him, brought him to trial with one reason to put him to death. Now, if you were to understand the environment or the emotions that are going on right now, Peter's probably terrified. Peter just sees the person he's been following for the last three years arrested, facing death, right? There's maybe even a little fear inside of Jesus, maybe not. We're gonna talk about that in the next couple of verses. But the situation is the entire religious community with the Sanhedrin is there for one reason, and that's to put Jesus Christ to death. So they begin the trial, and what they start to realize, as they're bringing people up to testify against Jesus Christ, their stories don't align. Their stories um, are are not aligned. So what they realize is the people are lying on Jesus Christ just to put him to death. So they bring person after person up and ask these people many different questions, but their stories do not collaborate. So what they realize is, they do not have enough evidence to, to crucify Jesus. They do not have enough evidence to put Jesus to death. If you read verse 58, but we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. They brought this in front of uh, the the chief priest and the Sanhedrin. And what they realized this testimony, right? Did not agree either. So at this point, they don't have enough evidence to convict Jesus. They don't have enough evidence to put Jesus to death. With everything they've done, with all the people they've brought in front, they do not have enough evidence to put Jesus to death. So the high priest stands up in the midst, and he asks Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And this is important. So at this point, they do not have enough evidence to crucify Jesus. So at this point, Jesus is still free. He remains silent. They don't have any witnesses that can testify against the things they're claiming against him. At this point, Jesus is still free. He's still a free man. He can be let loose. But before I go into the next verse, I want to explain something that Jesus went through right before this happened. I'm going to take you to Mark chapter 14, verse 35, or verse 36. I apologize. It says, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. The reason I want to explain this verse, because this is one of the few times in the Bible where we actually see the humanity of Jesus Christ. And what do I mean by seeing the humanity of Jesus Christ? I want to be very clear. Jesus was afraid. I'm going to read this verse to you again. What does it say? Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. In some Bibles, it says, take this burden away from me. So at that point, Jesus saw what was about to happen to him in his life. He didn't want that. He said, Father, take this burden away from me. I do not want this. Take this burden away from me. Take this cup away from me. Fear overcame Jesus for a split moment until the Holy Spirit kicked in, until he realized who he was and what his purpose was. And right after he's overcome with fear, what does he say right after that? Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So even though Jesus was overcome with an unsurmountable amount of fear, right after he recognized it was fear, he remembered the promise he made to us through love. that He wanted to die on the cross for our sins and that he would die on the cross for our sins. So Jesus was able to overcome his fear of dying just by loving us. And he ended up following his father's will. Now, so let's bring us to verse 61. But he remained silent and made no answer again the high priest asked him are you the christ the son of the blessed jesus is standing in front of the jesus is standing in front of the elected the religious officials in the community right now and he knows they brought him to court for one reason to crucify him they're looking for a reason to kill jesus at this point jesus looks at the sanhedrin the chief priest at everyone in the community he looks at them in the face And they say, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus says, I am. With no fear, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He stands up in front of that adversity. He stands up in front of that fear. And he puts his father's will before himself. For one reason, because of the love of us. He knows that the second he does this, it's going to lead to death. Now, Jesus was faced with an unsurmountable challenge or test or even fear but he loved the will of his father so much and he loved his father so much to where he moved forward what if jesus would have said no at this point if jesus would have avoided this and no i'm not the son of man just to survive we would have never known the jesus that we know today so let's look at how peter responded in this same situation and that's why i think these two texts are so important because it gives us the example of what, jesus, of what jesus christ did and right after that it gives us the example of what peter did so peter's faced with the same situation he's in the he's in the courtyard he's with the servants he's seeing everything that's happening to jesus christ he knows that they brought jesus to the court for one reason and that was for death so peter at this point is probably afraid um, the same as any of you would be probably afraid I've shared this story uh, with many people and they always say, hey, Mike, if I was living then, I wouldn't be afraid. I would never deny Christ. Would you? And I ask that, would you? If you were in the exact same situation in Malaysia or whatever country you're from and you're faced with death just because you're associated with your pastor or a Christian. And the only thing you have to do to say or to to survive is just say, no, I wasn't present with him. What decision would you make? So that's that's a decision I think none of us want to be in. But let's understand the decision that Peter made. And seeing Peter warming himself, verse 67, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. So Peter, faced with fear, the exact same situation Jesus was in. Jesus accepted his fate, moved forward with love by accepting his fate from his father and said, I am. The only thing they asked Peter is, were you present with this Nazarene? And Peter said, no, I wasn't. And that's what our message is going to be about today. Um, the, cost of, the cost of following Christ. So as a Christian, there is a cost in following Jesus Christ. And what I will say, anyone can follow Jesus Christ when it's easy. But can you still follow Jesus Christ when it's difficult? And I'll even take that a step further. If following Jesus Christ in your life up until this point has been easy, I'll ask, have you really been following Jesus Christ? Because while there's a lot of joy and while there's a lot of excitement of me loving the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not always easy and many times it's difficult. And I want to talk about three things, the situation that that Christ went through, faith, and then the joy of following Christ. But before I do that, I want to give you two examples, personal examples. And the reason I want to do this is because the fear of following Christ uh, during the text that we read is completely different than the fear of following Christ today. And what do I mean by that? During this time, if you said you were a Christian or you were a Christ follower, that would probably end in death. If I go into the streets today and say I'm a follower of Christ, I'm probably not going to be killed. So the fear that they had and the fear that is facing me today is different, right? It's impossible to have fear over something if there is no consequence. It's impossible for me to fear saying I'm a Christian. If there's no consequences of death or something much more severe for me being a Christian, so I can't say I fear that because that's not going to lead to death for me, but they could fear that because that would lead to death for them. Similar to I can't say I'm afraid to read and write because it may lead to death. Right. But 150 years ago in the United States, if a black person were to read and write and say they were educated, that would lead to death for them. So that fear doesn't plague me the same as it plagues them. So we have to be very careful on what we say we fear if there's no consequences for. it, And I'm going to explain what I mean about that shortly. But before I do, there's multiple ways to deny Christ. It's not just it's not just saying I don't believe in Jesus. There's many ways to deny Christ. And I'll give you two examples of one of how i did deny christ and i had to repent for it and one how i accepted the challenge and i didn't deny christ so the first one is when i first came to malaysia i'm confident telling this story now because i've repented from it and i've overcome it But when i first came to malaysia i was a racist um and the reason i say that is because it's true so when i first came to malaysia i knew nothing about malaysia i, I knew very little about uh, muslims and the only thing I knew about Muslims at the time is what I learned in the United States or what people told me, right? So what I learned in the United States um, after 9-11, anytime you heard uh, the word Muslim it was actually, it was often associated with terrorism. So of course I had these biases that exist, these unconscious bias that exist that I didn't even know existed at the time. Um, and the only things I knew about Malaysia is what people, told me who maybe just visited, hey, Michael, Malaysia is very unsafe. It's dangerous. You just wanna get your two years. you wanna do your one or two years there and leave and get your family out as quick as possible. So when I fly to Malaysia in 2011, it's actually during Ramadan. So of course, you know, they're wearing their Bajikarans and, and I actually spent a lot of time near the UTM area because that's where my employer was at the time. And of course they would wear the white gowns and all these images and thoughts start popping into my head of what I learned in the United States there were lies, of course, perceptions, and, and it just brought fears. So my wife and I, when we first landed in Malaysia, we bought pepper spray and knives and knives and golf clubs and all these things because I said I wanted to protect myself against the terrorists because they ever tried to attack me. And this lasted for about three months. But in, at the same time, my wife and I, we also said we don't want to have any American friends during the time we're in, the, in, in Malaysia because we really wanted to dive into the community and learn the community and really love the people. So of course I was over there during Ramadan. So people are inviting me, people are inviting me for dinner and buka puasa, and we're eating all these different type of, types of foods. And what I realized is the Malay people were just loving people. They were kind. The amount of love and appreciation I experienced in Malaysia is more than I've ever experienced in my own country. The amount of love I've experienced as a, as a Christian, as a black man in Malaysia, is much greater than I've experienced in my own country. And it was about three months in, I realized I was an idiot and I dropped to my knees in tears and I had to repent. But it wasn't until I dove into that culture, it wasn't until I really immersed myself into that lifestyle and became friends with them that I realized everything I learned in the United States was false. Everything, all the unconscious bias that I had in my head was wrong, right? But it took that experience and it took me admitting to that. Um, But at that point, I didn't go to Malaysia with love in my heart saying, hey, I wanna treat these people as children of God, even though we think differently. So that's a time where I probably did deny Christ because I wasn't moving as a Christian with my thoughts. Um, Another time um, is with my employer in Malaysia, not gonna say the name of the employer, but I was the plant manager. And anytime I run a plant, I'm friends with everyone in that facility. And so one day I was talking to the janitorial crew and we were having a conversation over lunch. And I told them I lived in Horizon Hills, and they said, wow, that's a nice area. I've never been there. And I said, well, you should come over sometime. Just come over and we can have dinner. So they came, two of them came over, and we had dinner at my home. And in the midst of us talking, I said, hey, what do you guys normally do for dinner? And they said, well, last night, we had rice and gravy. They were so excited. And they were from, I think, Nepal or Bangladesh, I forget. So the rice and gravy, the first time they said it didn't catch me off guard because it's common. I asked them again, hey, so what are you guys going to do tonight for dinner? And they said, oh, tonight we're going to have rice and gravy. So the spirit spoke to me. I said, why are you eating rice and gravy every night? You're not going to mix chicken in? And they said, well, Mike, we haven't been paid in four weeks. I said, okay. So I thought to myself and I said, I know their employer had been paid, but they haven't been paid in four weeks. So I went back to the office on that Monday morning and I brought their employer in and I said, hey, you don't need to know where this rumor is coming from, but I know your employees haven't been paid in four weeks. I said, you have seven days to ensure your employees are paid and it better never happen again. And if it does, you will not be in the next contract review. After that, the employees were paid. I never had that problem again. But at the time, I could have easily responded and said, hey, this is not my responsibility. Or maybe I should talk to corporate about it. Or maybe this is just, this is just the way things work in this region of the world. But the Lord said, no, you're a Christian. i put you in this position of power and authority for a reason. And if you have to sacrifice your comfort, Michael, to do this, then do it because those people will never see me until they see love. Right? So I had to love them enough just to serve them. I wasn't, I wasn't preaching to these individuals, but the only thing they needed was food and I could provide that. So There's multiple ways you can deny Christ without standing in the street and said and saying, no, I'm not a Christian. You can deny Christ when you're faced with that opportunity to love someone and you choose not to. Right. So let's apply that to maybe some examples in Malaysia. So Malaysia, are you ever in one of your ethnic groups like your Chinese groups or your Malaysian groups or your Indian groups or or if you're foreign from whatever region and your friends and family members start talking about another group of people? Are you silent at that point or do you intervene with love? And do you coach your family and friends and teach them? Or are you just silent and walk away? And if you're coaching and teaching, that's love. But if you're silent and walk away, maybe you're denying Christ at that point. Or let me take this a little further. And maybe this is a little more personal. What about if, and I could be talking to you in this situation or someone you know, what if you have a Filipino helper or a helper from Bangladesh or Nepal, and you see them being mistreated by a family member or a friend, do you allow that to happen or do you intervene with love? And do you say that's wrong? Because I can assure you that's not the will of father that those individuals are mistreated. So you will have that opportunity to love. Or how do you respond in that situation? So as Christians, we're going to get many opportunities to show people we love Christ. And we're also going to get many opportunities to deny Christ. But if following Christ for you is easy, you're probably not following Christ. And we're always going to be in situations to where we may have to go against the crowd to do what the Lord wants us to do. Right? We may have to stand in front of that angry mob and say, yes, this is what I believe in, even if it costs everything I have. We may have to say, yes, this is my friend, even though they don't think the same way you think. Right. But there's going to be many times in your life where it's not just, hey, are you a Christian? It's more to it than that. Right. Our faith will be tested every single day. So, again, I'll say it again. Anyone can follow Jesus Christ. When it's easy. Right. But are you willing to follow him when it's not? last couple words but before i do i want to go to verse mark chapter i'm sorry matthew chapter 10 verse 35 matthew chapter 10 verse 35 34 and 35 don't assume that i came to bring peace on the earth i did not come to bring peace but a sword for i came to turn a man against his father a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members, members of his household. And what the Lord is saying, sometimes following Christ, following him, is going to mean you're not going to agree with your mother or your father or your friends. Because if it was my responsibility to feed that janitorial crew, even though that wasn't a popular thing to do, or my, or my company told me not to, that's what I'm going to do, guys. Because I have to answer to him first. So I just want to ask you, have you ever been in those environments? Have you ever been in those situations where you've had the opportunity to do the right thing and you were silent and you said nothing? Because if you look at Jesus, the thing that he was afraid of the most in in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Abba, Father, take this burden away from me. He was afraid of death. The thing that he was afraid of the most is the reason we remember him today if he never dies on that cross, if he never bears that burden, if he never moves forward, he's not the Jesus that we know today. So do you believe in Jesus enough to, when everyone is saying yes, you say no. Do you believe in Jesus enough to, when everyone is pouring hate, you're pouring love. Do you believe in Jesus enough to submit to his will by any means necessary? And you may say, Michael, I'm not strong enough to have those conversations. Okay, are you strong enough to pray? Because that works as well. And I'll give you an example where prayer works instantly if you believe. We had a Filipino helper in the church, no need to say her name, but I took her, we, we, we had a church service and after church service, we, we went to lunch at my favorite restaurant, Bindu. We went to lunch. And the whole time we were eating, she was terrified. And I couldn't figure out why she was terrified. And and someone says, "Mike, she's afraid to go home." And I said, "Why is she afraid to go home?" And she and they just start telling me stories about her employer. And instantly, I'm angry. And I'm upset because the the things I'm hearing is I'm hearing this sad about another another human being, right? So I'm upset. So I start. So so we stop the car and we just start praying for her before we take her back to her house. And the whole time I'm driving, I'm, I'm driving, I'm thinking, I'm praying, I'm driving, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm praying. And we walk to the door and I'm looking at her employer in the face. He's very irate, he's upset, mainly just because she wanted to get something to eat after church on her day off, supposedly. And so we talk for about two or three minutes and I just literally, I'm just listening to him and I let him say whatever he's gonna say and, and then I walk away and I'm, I'm still praying. And then I, I don't know if Sebastian's on the call, but then I go to Sebastian's house and we continue praying for this individual. And about two weeks later, she comes to me and she says, Michael, I don't know what happened. She said, but my employer gives me a day off now. Yes, and the way. percent over the next two days, but in 80% Can someone go on mute? But she said, um, my employer, um, sorry, please forgive me. But she said, my employer gives me a day off now. Um, she said, my employer doesn't do the things that he used to do to me in the past. Um, and the lawyer was actually taking her to church now. So the situation had completely changed, and about two months after that, I, I, I saw the gentleman again. I looked at him. He looked at me. We didn't say anything, but we both knew that the Lord had spoken to him. So that's what I'll leave you with. Do you believe in Jesus enough to love when people are hating? Do you believe in Jesus enough to have that conversation out of love when other people won't? Do you believe in Jesus enough just to pray when you feel like you can't do those other things? And the reason I say that is because the joy in following the Lord's will is much greater than the fear of not following his will. The joy I receive after her telling me that story is much greater than never praying for her. The joy I received from those janitors after eating is much greater than being afraid to go and have that conversation. The joy I've received of building those relationships with my Muslim friends is much greater than living in fear and having pepper spray and mace in my home just so I can have that comfort. So the joy of following the Lord's will is much greater than any fear I've ever experienced, right? And that's our responsibility as Christians. So I'm commanding you, I'm empowering you now to where if your life of following Christ every day is easy, you are not following Christ. There's things he's commanding you to do. And I'm asking you to go out and do those things. It's not going to be easy, but it will be rewarding. And Jesus only had one plan and it was us. He's not coming back a second time until he's judging us. So the things that need to happen on this earth, the things of love that need to move forward, he's he's already done everything he's going to do. Now he's put the power in us to do it. And I'm 100% confident that if we act in his will, we can do those things. That's all I wanted to say. I'm going to close in prayer i hand it back over to Eric. Lord, I just want to thank you uh, for giving me the opportunity to speak to IBCBI um, again. Lord, I love that church. I love everyone in the church, all the members, um, Sam Chung, Craig Davis, uh, Mark Davis' family. I'm forgetting names, Sebastian. Um, Lord, there's just so many wonderful. Uh, Louisa, there's just so many wonderful people I miss, Shabazz, uh, Riberas. Lord, I just pray that everyone that heard this message today, uh, you speak to them. And I just pray, Lord, that um, if I do have the power to to, to visit the church again, it's, it's stronger and it's better than it ever was before I left. In these things, I ask in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you very much, Mike, for uh, sharing God's word with us and also um, sharing your love for us and for the church Um, thank you for taking the time I know it's uh, quite late uh, where you are in the US already so thank you very much Um, I'm going to unmute everybody so you can say your greetings and I wish you a blessed day and I hope you have some uh, fellowship among yourselves in small groups maybe Uh, I hope you do invite church members to your house uh, although you cannot get in the church yet we can you know invite each other and have that fellowship with each other. God bless I bless you all. It was good to see you all. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for the message. Thank you.